0: From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Ricky Utskowitz, and on today's show, I fly solo to talk about the Spring 2020 collection. I'll give you a peek behind the scenes into how a collection comes together from beginning to end, let you into what I think about what I design, and answer your questions. Hey, lovely. Today, it's just me and you. So whether you are driving, please do so safely. If you're like me and you can't get through a sink full of dishes without listening to a podcast, girl, I feel you. That sink will be empty soon. Promise. Probably by the end of this episode. And if you're doing something else, thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. I want to do something special and that is I want to talk you through uh, the process of designing a collection specifically my spring 2020 collection uh, which is going to be available for purchase this week actually um, on Tuesday and I wanted to take this opportunity to really tell you what goes on in my head when I design a collection I get questions like this all the time um, how I design a collection what goes into it, how do I come up with my designs, what's the nitty-gritty like, and I thought that this was as good a time as any to let you in behind the scenes. Um, and I wanted to do that here on this podcast as opposed to on my Instagram or in an email or anything like that. Um, one, because if you know me, you know that I love to schmooze um, and I love to, you know, just talk and I'm, I'm excited for this opportunity to just talk to you now for a little bit. Uh, and two, because it's easier for you know, the kind of longer form, in-depth things that we're going to talk about today. So I'm going to cover a few things. The way that um, we're going to do this, our little roadmap for today, I guess, is I'm going to tell you a little bit about what I was thinking about with this collection, the things that I wanted to focus on. Uh, I'm going to tell you about how my process changed for the Spring 20 collection because it did change pretty significantly, Um, I think, for the better, but it was definitely something to get used to. Uh, I'm going to talk you through how my process used to be and how it's different now. Uh, And then I'm going to tell you a little bit about the first dress that's going to be released. It's called The Point Dress, and it's going to be released on Tuesday, February 25th, uh, and it's super exciting. And then I'm going to go through a couple of your questions. Uh, I did get questions um, from you, the listeners of this podcast, who emailed them in to me. Um, I collected questions off of my Instagram page um, at impact.fashion.nyc. So we're going to go through uh, just a few of those. There were a couple of themes that kind of stood out. So let's start now with the very beginning. Um, And that's what's it like to design a collection? And the truth is that designing a collection is a huge job made up of lots of little jobs. The way that my process works is a little bit different from a lot of other Designers uh, because I am a couture trained dressmaker seamstress and pattern maker So my process is actually very technical based as opposed to you know the stereotypical look of a designer where they're just I Don't know like sketching and throwing fabric around and being very fantastical And there's usually people behind them who are very detail oriented and concrete and create the things I am the concrete person Um, And because I am a pattern maker at heart, because my background is a lot more in the technical side of design, as opposed to the fantastical side, don't get me wrong, I love the fantasy side of it, but I'm much more results oriented, I'm much more grounded in my approach. And because of that, um, I do all of my own patterning, which is very unusual, uh, particularly for a small line, a lot of people will outsource that, a lot of people, a lot of lines will... Um, hire them out, they'll have their sample maker will also be their pattern maker uh, and I do all my own patterning So the things that need to happen in order for a collection to be made, you need to end up with what are called samples Which are basically just a, an example, I guess, I don't want to use the word sample again um, But it's the first actual dress of that design that's made so the way that you get a sample is that you use a pattern similar to when you're baking cookies and you have a cookie cutter and if you use the same let's say star-shaped cookie cutter every time then you'll get the same star-shaped cookies that will be the same size and the same shape and everything if you use the same pattern on different garments then you'll get the same garment again and again and that's how things go into you know go into production that's how you mass produce items so every design starts with a sketch or an idea Um, I tend to do very sparse sketches uh, just because my background is in pattern making. For me, a lot of the fun is in working with the actual pattern. So I'll come up with an idea and I'll do a pretty um, sparse sketch. Uh, And I'll include links to all of this in the show notes, by the way, so that you can see some of my sketches. And then what I'll also do is that I'll write really detailed notes next to those sketches. So I'll write things like Move the side seam over three quarters of an inch to the right and raise the waist seam a half an inch uh, slightly towards the left. And then I'll know that when I manipulate those seams, it'll give the effect that I want. That's a little bit of an unusual way way to design, but it works for me. So once you have your sketch, then you move on to your pattern. And that's where you take the sketch and you create your cookie cutter, basically. The thing that will create the garment. Once you have your pattern, then you do what's called a muslin. That's M U S L I N, not Muslim, like someone who practices Islam. This is different. Um, and what muslin is, it's actually a type of fabric um, that looks kind of like burlap. It's a very soft canvas-like material. Uh, it it ranges in thickness from like super super soft to um, much heavier, where it, like is basically like burlap, very thick, very. Um, Frigid like that um i always use a medium weight one because it falls nicely in the middle and you know we're gonna goldilocks this one um, and what i do is that i take my pattern and i cut it out of the muslin When i cut it out of the muslin i then sew it together exactly how the final garment is going to be sewn together and this way i can check my pattern i can double check that it fits the way i want it to i can double check that the effect that i was going for is created by the manipulations that i made on the pattern um, And that muslin is also really important because I'm not the one sewing the final garment. I can't. There's just too many of them. It would be completely impractical as much as I would love to spend every single day just sitting in my sewing machine. So I need to create the muslin so that when I bring the pattern to my factory, they have a clear idea of how it's supposed to come together. They have a clear idea because I've given them this model of You know which seams match up with with which other seams which uh dresses need to be sewn in a specific way what type of seam i want them to use um you know let's say for an exposed zipper or something like that so all of that is really important once i have my muslin i'll you. that's where i'll usually do a couple of revisions Uh, for this collection for spring i think the most revisions that i did on a garment was about eight which is pretty low considering. Um, there are a couple of items in the, in the collection right now, um, that you can see on impactfashionnyc.com that took me about like 15 tries to get ooh, completely right. Uh, the Jackie O dress comes to mind. That neckline is a funnel neckline that needs to kind of stand on its own and lay against the body, but still be perfect but but still move and not feel choking but still be high it was really tricky to get that exactly exactly where I wanted it to be um so yeah then I'll do my revisions I'll you know change it make sure that it's perfect um all of the samples by the way fit me which just for two reasons as I'm working it's easiest to just try it on myself um and also because then I can see exactly how it feels to wear, and like specifically with the Jackie O neckline that I'm thinking of now, if it was choking me, then I was like, okay, I need to, I need to change this. And that's not something that you'll get from a dress form. And the other reason why the samples fit me is because when I first started Impact Fashion, I wasn't sure that it was going to work. You know, there's no guarantee when you start a business that it's going to be successful. And it's actually a really scary thing to do. So when I was investing all this money to start the business, I thought, you know what? Let me make the samples fit me. Because even if I never, you know, even if I never get past my first season, at the very least, I'll have these great clothes that fit me and look great. So that's another reason why they fit me just to, uh, you know, make my uh, silence, my inner critic just a little bit. Once I have my pattern and my muslin, then I bring that to my factory and they make the sample. They, they do it out of the final fabric. Um, they let me know if there are any adjustments that need to be made in the pattern because sometimes they'll notice things that I miss or sometimes things come up in the final fabric that you just don't notice um, on a muslin. You know, if a specific uh, design on the fabric needs to be matched up in a certain way, then the pattern needs to be changed to accommodate that. So that's what you do to make a collection you rinse and repeat and you do that times however many pieces you want there to be in your collection so you start with the sketch then you move on to the patterning then you do the muslin you revise as many times as necessary and then you make your sample so like i said it's a big job it's a huge job made up of lots of little jobs um and spring 2020 is actually my seventh collection for impact fashion which is mind-blowing, because like I said, I started this company three years ago. Um, and Yeah, three years ago. Wow. And three and a half at this point, actually. And, you know, there's no guarantee that it'll work. And even just, you know, existing for this long is is kind of cool. I'm not gonna lie. That's That's definitely something that I am super proud of. And with my seventh collection, with Spring 2020... There were three things that I wanted to keep in mind. Um, Three things that I wanted every piece that was in the collection to embody, I guess you could say. Number one was lightness. I wanted it to feel hairy. I wanted it to feel um, soft. I wanted it to feel floaty. I didn't, I felt like a lot of pieces that i had been seeing from myself and from other designers they felt like they were you know they were dresses with a capital dress you know they were almost straight jacket like and as much as i like that feeling of being very dressed and buttoned up i wanted to see if i could achieve the look of being very dressed without the feeling of being very buttoned up so that was the first thing that i kept in mind the second thing that i ke- that i kept in mind and that i keep in mind with all of my clothes our comfort, particularly with summer, because I don't know about you lovelies, um, but I sweat a lot and not like a, you know, demure ladylike glow. No, I sweat like a pig, like dripping down my back, uncomfortable amounts of sweat. So for me, particularly in summer, when you're going to be sweating and particularly for, you know, people like us who dress modestly you're already hot. There's no way around it. You just are. Um, and if I'm gonna sweat (laughs) at the very least, I want to be comfortable when I'm doing it. So that was another thing that was really important to me, uh, to make sure that the clothes, the clothes were comfortable. Um, and I achieved that with my linings. I discovered this great lining about three seasons ago. Um, and it's basically the same stuff that t-shirts are made out of and it's super soft and luxurious and just feels fabulous. Um, and it absorbs sweat. So it's, you know, even if you are sweating a lot, like I do, and I know this because I've tested it out in real life situations, it's, um, it, it, it moves the moisture away from your skin, which is great. And then the third thing that I really, really wanted to keep in mind, um, and that I try to keep in mind with almost all the uh, designs that I have, is this concept of timeless edge. I want it to feel very now for the next 10 years. You know what I mean? I wanted to feel classic styles that will never go out of style, that you'll always be able to wear, um, but that don't look like your grandma's pearls. So those were the three things that I wanted to keep in mind with spring 20. The thing that was a little bit different was the lightness. I wanted it to feel light and airy. The comfort is always top of mind because I get hang, like I get I'm not fun to be around when I'm uncomfortable. Let's just put it that way. And and this timeless edge. These very now pieces that were not just fad trends. And the truth is that the process of creating this collection emotionally was completely different for me than in previous collections. Um, I've touched on this in previous episodes when it came up in conversations with, um, with some of my guests and the way that I describe it is that spring 2020 was the first collection that I created without actively hating myself. And that's really, as I'm saying it now, it almost seems crazy to listen to myself say it, but I I want to expand on that because I think the main thing that i learned over these past six months because it does take me around six months to create a full collection i think what i really learned was to cut myself some slack um i think that that's where i really grew the most and it's i mean there's no right or wrong answer here but i do know that i think that i am I think that, I I don't want to say happier because happy is such a broad term, it's almost meaningless, but I think that I'm definitely much more at peace with the things that I created and and have been able to really silence the crazy inner critic um, that is in my brain with the changes that I made for this collection. The way that it used to go for me was, I used to put huge amounts of pressures of myself, not just to make the perfect collection, but to make more pieces than was reasonable for me to be able to make. Um, At the time, I was basically a one-woman show. I was doing all the patterning myself. I was doing all of the muslins by myself. I could only work on it for about two months because that was just the frame, the time frame that I had because I, you know, had a business to run. And I wanted to make 25 new pieces of collection. I wanted to have these huge, you know, bigger collections and, you know, the kinds of the size of the collection. When you have a 25 piece collection, you've got a three person team. And I was doing that on my own. And then I wouldn't meet those goals. You know, I would get to 15 or 20 maybe. And then I would feel awful for not reaching this crazy high goal that was really never, it wasn't even possible. It wasn't even humanly possible and then i would also on top of that just on top of the size of it i wanted each piece to be perfect i wanted each piece to be a bestseller i wanted each piece to do to do so well and for everyone to love every single piece and i don't need to tell you that that's not even like yeah, i want everyone to love everything i do every single time that's not reality that's just not how the world works and then i would get really frustrated when it was when i didn't when that didn't happen when that's like getting frustrated at the sky for being blue. That's just, it's just the way it is. And that really translated into when I didn't reach the goal, instead of recognizing that the goal was unreachable, it was if only I had worked harder, if only I had done more, if only I had pushed myself, then I could have done it. When that was never the case, that was really never true. And so for spring 20, I made some changes. Um, The main change that I made was I got help. Um, Starting in June, I hired my first freelancer. Uh, And you've heard me talk about her on this podcast before. It's Michelle Moses. She is um, my graphic designer. And that was huge because it took a huge job that I hated doing off my plate and gave it to someone who's a professional at it. And that was great. Um, I got someone who... Um, helps me with the patterning. I brought in an intern who, um, you know, takes care of making things. She takes care of the little tasks so that I can focus on the things that really need me. Those were all huge things. Um, You know, recognizing that I couldn't do it all myself, that I needed to bring in more people. That was definitely a huge step. And the, the other thing that I did was that I sat down with my previous sales season's numbers, and I figured out that I didn't need to be making 25 pieces. I figured out that in every collection, there were only about 12 pieces that people liked. There were only about 12 people pieces that sold. So why am I driving myself crazy trying to make all these extra throwaway pieces when I could be focusing on making 12 really, really great pieces? And that's what I did. Each piece became better because I was focusing on the pieces that Work for everyone. There's something called decision paralysis. It's actually a really interesting concept, um, and they've done this in experiments with in grocery stores actually, with free samples. If there's, um, let's say, a jelly company, and they have a table where they're giving out free samples of their jelly, hoping that you'll buy. If they put out 25 flavors of jelly on their table, not only did less did very few people taste the jelly, even fewer people even fewer people out of those who tasted the jelly eventually ended up buying the jelly. There was just too many choices. When they did took the same jelly company and the same jelly and they only put out six flavors, then more people were willing to taste the jelly and a higher percentage of the people who tasted ultimately went on to buy. Because when people are presented with too many choices, it overcrowds their brain. And instead of sitting down and carefully going through 25 options, which nobody is going to do, they just freeze up and they say, no, it's fine. I don't need jelly. I'll get peanut butter this week. And that was what was happening on my collections. I noticed that the collections with a smaller amount of pieces were selling better. were doing better that I didn't need to have 25 pieces to do well. So I stopped doing it. And the big lesson there is if you're feeling stuck, go back to the data, you know, see what that, See what that's pointing you towards. See what the data is telling you and go where it leads you. And it's okay if it doesn't take you exactly where you thought it would. And the third thing that I did, which was definitely a gradual process, but I think that, I mean, it it is a gradual process. So with the seventh collection, I was the farthest along that process than I've ever been. But I learned to separate myself worth from how well the collection did, particularly in the wholesale market. What I came to realize was that there are about a million reasons why someone may not buy my collection. And only one of those reasons is I didn't like it. You know, they may have just overspent their budget at a different different, um, supplier. They may have had a really bad season themselves and they have no budget. They may be deciding that they're not carrying my price point entirely. They may be in a bad mood and if they haven't had lunch yet, they may be less likely to buy from me and on and on and on and on. And none of those things have to do with how good of a salesperson I am. They have nothing to do with how good my designs are. They have nothing to do with what the collection looks like. It has everything to do with the other person and nothing to do with me. And that's also something that applies to a lot of areas in life. And I find that usually when someone is rude to me, when someone does something nasty to me, when someone is less than complimentary towards me in whatever way, I find that it usually has a lot to do with themselves and not with me. And I find it also, by the way, the opposite. I'm listen, I'm not a perfect person. There are plenty of times when I have been rude and have acted in ways that I am not the most proud of. Oh, this is a funny story. So I do expos occasionally, um, you know, small, basically pop-up shops where a bunch of vendors get together um, and, you know, we display our collections and people can come and shops. They're like these one day malls, basically. So I was doing an expo and there was a tiny, tiny parking lot. And the way that I do these expos is that I bring, I have, you have to bring everything. So I bring the rack, I bring the clothes, I bring, um, you know, I have my register app on my phone and all of that. Each booth operates as an independent store. So I needed to bring my rack um, and all of my, my clothes. And the way that I do it is that my racks collapse into each other. So I build them in the parking lot. I load them up with all the clothes and then I roll them into the venue and a couple of weeks ago, I did an expo and I was really sick. I was really not feeling well. I honestly should have canceled. Um, I shouldn't have been there. Um, but I had already told them that I would come and it was booked and I was being an idiot. So I went and in the parking lot, right outside the door to the venue, a big gust of wind came and my in- my rack that was stuffed with about half of my inventory tips over into the parking lot, like onto the gravel. A guy passes by me. He sees, and I'm just kind of staring at all of, I'm just staring at the carnage that's on the floor. I can barely breathe because I, you know, my my face is so stuffed up because I had such a bad cold. And I was like, and I'm just kind of like surveying the dresses that are on the floor. Thank goodness they were all wrapped up. So nothing was damaged. Nothing got dirty or anything like that. But they this whole this giant rack that probably weighed about, I don't know, like a hundred pounds, needed to be lifted. It was this whole thing. And this guy walks by and he says to me, Do you have help? I looked at him and I said, Obviously I don't. So that's a really helpful thing to point out right now. And he looked at me very taken aback, very strangely. And he helps me pick up the rack and he, and he walks into the, into the venue. He doesn't say another word. I realized afterwards that in my head, I heard him say, why don't you have help? And that's what I reacted to. And he was offering me his help. So of course now I feel awful. I feel like an idiot. I'm, why did I do that? This is so, I mean, come on, seriously. At the end of the end of the story is that at the very end of the day, I went over to his booth and I apologized, and I said to him, "I just want to let you know, I'm 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 sorry. I was just very frustrated in that moment." And he said, "Don't worry. I've had so many racks fall on me." Um, he was actually someone who sold skirts, so he had these custom racks built that were double decker racks. And he said, "When one of when one of those falls, there, um, it's awful. <laughs> you know, it's it's twice as much stuff." And it was fine. But my point there is that. I reacted to him the way that I did because I wasn't feeling well because I was frustrated because I was just having a really bad morning and I really just wanted to be in bed. I didn't react that way to him because he was doing something inherently wrong and it took me a little bit of time to come to that realization with my retailers to come to the realization that if they didn't buy from me it didn't mean that I was doing something wrong. Um, It didn't mean that it was because they hated me or my designs. It just meant that it didn't work for their store at this time for whatever reason. And the reason could be as simple as they're just in a bad mood. And I called them at a bad time. And that's fine. And I noticed that, by the way, because people who, when I spoke to them the first time, were very dismissive of me. When I came back a second time, they were more receptive. And by the time I came back to them the third time, they were buying from me. And by the time I came back to them the fourth time, they were loving my stuff. So that first time, it could have been that they just had a bad day. You know, there's no, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's just, there's no way to know. And that's just what it was. So yeah, those are the the main changes that I made for spring 20 was that I got help. I figured out that I didn't need to be making as many pieces as I thought I did. And I learned to cut myself some slack because the reasons why someone isn't buying have very little to do with collection it could be a million other things now I want to talk to you about the first dress from the spring 20 collection that is going online if you follow me on Instagram then you've actually already seen this dress uh, without well I guess without realizing it Um, it's called the point dress and it's this navy and fuchsia color block dress with a slash pattern so it's color blocking on an angle And the whole middle section is the most bright, beautiful fuchsia. Uh, It's so great. And, oh, for me, this dress, it came together in a lot of different ways. The, well, the first thing is that I'm a sucker for color block. I love taking a great shape and chopping it up into new ways and creating new angles within a perfect shape. Like, ah, I love that. Also, color is always a little bit tricky. You know, I really like bright colors i love wearing them they make me feel happy they make me feel powerful like all of that i'm all for the bright colors but i also know that a lot of people like their black a lot of people like their dark colors things that they feel comfortable in so i use the navy in this design as an anchoring point as something that tones down the overall brightness of the dress but still lets it you know stay really sharp because the navy actually emphasizes the seams and the way that the color blocking is inlaid into the dress. And the thing is that, you know, when I said before about timeless edge, the fact that, you know, the point dress has unusual angles that aren't totally insane but are still eye-catching, that's exactly what I mean. That's exactly what I'm going for when I say that I want timeless edge. So the point dress is launching on impactfashionnyc.com uh, on Tuesday, February 25th. It'll be available in sizes two through 24. And as all my uh, pieces are, um, I will say this, the, I want to say probably starting at size 16 or 18 are going to sell out first. So if those are the sizes that you are interested in, definitely hop to that. It's It's a great piece with that perfect timeless edge we love okay and now on to your questions so uh these were a couple of the like big themes that kind of came up uh, over and over again in the questions that i got and the first one was how do i decide on the colors for each season you see the thing is that like colors are really have all the rage now you know just um getting your palette done is very popular right now Um, have bringing in a color specialist is very popular right now Uh, those are things that a lot of brands are starting to do personally I just go with what I feel the design needs Um, I don't usually pick a like I don't usually pick a color for the season I just make great clothes and sometimes that means that a bright pink is needed like with the point dress I wanted to have a really striking color in the center section um, and sometimes it needs that something more muted is needed like um, the second dress is going to be released from the spring collection is called the flutter dress and it's coming out in two colors in a blush and a mint and they're both kind of subdued but really rich and beautiful and that was just what I felt the the feeling, I guess you could say, of that dress needed. Um, I always try to make sure to have a black dress because I know that a lot of people love black. Um, I always try to make sure to have a really bright, colorful piece because I know there are people who love that. And then I just kind of see what each, what each dress needs. Uh, and it's usually just based off of what I like. So that's always going to be pinks and purples, navies, that kind of thing. Next question. What inspires me? Mm, I love this question. I love this question and the truth is, I don't know if I could really articulate it because, and I know that this sounds so cliche and kind of makes me want to throw up a little bit, but I really do find inspiration everywhere. Um, every I, Anything like as simple as a really great like iron gate and then I'll see the way that the metal is twisting and that'll make me think of a way that seams could be arranged. Architecture is a big one for me. Um, If I see interesting buildings, that'll usually give me an idea. Um, Things like that. I'm I'm always paying attention to the lines around me. So even when I'm driving, like if I'm on the highway and I see that you know the way that the road goes off into the distance, or the way that I'm stuck in traffic and you know things are just looking very still and stagnant. um, That's also inspiring to me. Not to say that I love sitting in traffic. I most certainly do not. But there's, there's always a silver lining, I guess you could say. Um, the thing that I try to avoid doing, I try to avoid getting inspiration from other clothing, um, from other articles of clothing. Um, I am very, mm, as someone who is a designer, um, someone who creates her own original concepts and ideas, I find it to be nothing short of stealing to outright copy another designer's design. Um, I think that it is, I think that it is theft. Now I understand, fun fact, everybody, it is actually nearly impossible to copyright a design, to copyright a, um, you know, like a dress design, for example. There are a few exceptions to this. One of them is actually the Birkin bag by Hermes. Um, that, because it is a very distinct shape and they did manage to get that um, patented a little while, uh, like, like, about a hundred years ago or something like that. Um, But it's nearly impossible to trademark a design to patent it in any way. And because of that, it is perfectly legal to copy someone else's design. It is not legal to use someone else's logo, which is why when you see fake designer bags, usually the logo is changed slightly. So a G might become a C, Um, a C might become a G the other way. Like you'll often see knockoff Chanel bags that have like the C is shaped a little bit strangely um, because to use the logo, a logo can be trademarked, um, which is why so many high-end designers brand their pieces with their logos uh, because that is something that they can protect. That being said, getting inspired from past eras let's say from like the 70s bell pant or something like that um that's a very legitimate way to design um pulling inspiration from past eras is perfectly legitimate even if it's a relatively recent era um that's perfectly legitimate but the thing is that you then need to take whatever it was that you were inspired by let's say if we're you know, saying the bell, you know, the bell pant, the the wide leg pant of the 70s. If you're inspired by that, then show that to me in a little bit of a different way. Or if you're going to do just a plain wide leg pant, then show it to me in a great fabric. Show it to me in something that is a little bit different. Give me your spin on it. Um, I have seen outright copycats of designer shapes, of designer sleeves. And I'm not saying designer as in, you know, high-end, expensive brands. I'm just saying, designer as something that was created by a person who designs, um, and I think that that's where things get very tricky. So, the things that inspire me are really just anything strong. I'm inspired by strong personalities. I'm inspired by strong buildings. I'm inspired by strong lines. I'm inspired by, um, I'm inspired by a lot of different things. And I'm always careful that the things that I am, quote, inspired by and the things that I create when I am inspired by something are completely new and original. Um, for me, I got into this because at my core, I'm really just a girl who wants to sit and sew. I'm really just a girl who wants to sit and create clothes. And I know that there are companies whose business models are based off of copying what other people do. And to be perfectly honest i don't know how those companies work i don't know how they function um and i'm not even thinking about huge companies where it's you know like staff designers and things like that i'm not even talking about those i'm talking about smaller companies like myself who just look around at what everyone else is doing and then do it again i don't know how those people find the drive to exist in this business because it is a hard business and For me, the drive is in the desire to make my own original pieces and to help modest-minded women find stylish options that are original and beautiful. And I don't think that I could do what I did if I was just copying other people. Like, I just don't think that I would have the motivation to do it. So, yeah, I'm inspired by a lot of things and I'm not inspired by... And I don't copy other people's designs and I never will. And if you do copy my designs, by the way, I see you. Um, If you do copy my designs and I know that I'm thinking of a few people right now, um, then just know that there are people who send them to me, who message me and show me that the copies that you make. Um, And I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm not going to say anything to you. I'm not going to point it out Um, if anyone does ever call you out, I'm copying my design, know that it's that person on their own because I will never, you know, send out a vigilante group. Um, but you will always be 10 steps behind me. So that's all I can really say about that. Next question. How do I know what people want? Do I base it um, on what's sold before? Do I use my gut? Um, do, I, do I look at trends? Hmm, I don't know the answer to this question because I do not know what people want. I truly don't. And if I had a magic formula that could predict exactly what would sell amazingly well, then I would stop making dresses and I would sell that formula because every single company that sells any kind of thing is dying to have that kind of formula. But the truth is that there have been pieces in my collection that I thought would be huge bestsellers and then they didn't sell at all. And there are pieces that I didn't even really like that much and they were my biggest best sellers. So there's really no way to know. Um, it, a spin on the question, like, how do I decide what I'm going to design? I just make what I like. I make the things that I'm interested in making. Um, I make the things that I would want to wear. I make the things that I would like. I don't really look at trends so much because I do consider my pieces investment pieces. My pieces are made really well and they will last in your closet for a very long time. And when you're pulling that piece out of your closet 10 years from now, I don't want it to feel super trendy from 10 years ago. Um, so that is, that's just a big part of, of how I design is that I try to keep things a little bit more classic, but like I said, timeless edge very now for the next 10 years. Those are your questions. Those were the main things that came up in your questions. Um, like I said before, the spring collection is starting to become available on impactfashionnyc.com starting Tuesday, February 25th. If you're listening to this on the day that it comes out, that's tomorrow. Um, that's... Yeah, it's really exciting. You can hover, You can head over to impactfashionnyc.com to view the collection. Um, the pieces are going to be released one at a time. Um, there are three new dresses uh, that are going online uh, over the next month or so. And I'm releasing them in a little bit of an unusual way. Uh, you'll have to follow me on Instagram at impact.fashion.nyc to get the full effect of that. And I hope that you enjoyed this episode. You can always reach out to me at BeImpactfulPodcast at ImpactFashionNYC.com. You can head over to ImpactFashionNYC.com to uh, see the collection, to read more about me, to see more of what's available. There are contact forms all over that site. Uh, And anytime that you do reach out to Impact Fashion, you'll be reaching out to me. So uh, I'll be more than happy to answer your emails, answer your DMs, answer your questions. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoy the Tales of Impact start Tuesday. Use code podcast for 10% off your entire order at impactfashionnyc.com, including the new spring releases. There's free shipping on all U.S. orders and free return shipping no matter where you live. Always on me. Swipe up on the cover art for the show notes. You'll find my spring sketches linked there. Enjoy them. To hear more episodes, subscribe or head over to impactfashionnyc.com slash blog slash podcast. If you want to help more people hear this episode, leave a quick rating or review. It will make my day. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifti Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.nyc. As always, here's to making an impact together.